The Westminster Confession of Faith was first published in 1646. It was the result of the hard work done by a group of men called the Westminster Divines. Their goal was to outline what they believed the Scriptures principally taught. And it has been said that the Church of Christ cannot be creedless and live. Thankfully, the Westminster Confession of Faith has been the creed of the Reformed Church for almost 400 years. This podcast seeks to point you to Christ, to help you navigate the Westminster Confession of Faith, and to see you understand what you believe and why you believe it. Welcome to This We Confess. Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 6, Of the Fall of Man, of Sin, and the Punishment Thereof, Paragraphs 5 and 6. This corruption of nature, during this life, does remain in those that are regenerated, and although it be, through Christ, pardoned and mortified, yet both itself and all the motions thereof are truly and properly sin. Paragraph 6. Every sin, both original and actual, being a transgression of the righteous law of God and contrary thereunto, does in its own nature bring guilt upon the sinner, whereby he is bound over to the wrath of God and curse of the law, and so made subject to death with all the miseries spiritual, temporal, and eternal. We've all been there. We bump into a friend one day in town, we haven't seen them in a very, very long time, and they tell us the bad news. They tell us that the church that we grew up in is currently going through a war over worship. They're ripping themselves apart, the minister has left, four elders have resigned, and lots and lots of people are leaving. Or even in a more personal way, we've all been there. When a brother or sister in Christ hurts us, gossips about us, or slanders us either publicly or privately. Why is it that Christians fight? Why is it that Christian churches destroy themselves? Why is it that often the Church of Jesus Christ makes a name for itself in the newspaper headlines for things other than gospel proclamation? If we've ever pondered those questions, well, these paragraphs in the Westminster Confession of Faith give us our answer. Paragraph 5 makes it abundantly clear. These things happen because Christians are still sinful. Now, it is of course absolutely true to say that something extraordinary has taken place in the Christian's life. They have been born again. They have received Christ by faith as he is offered in the gospel. They have moved from darkness to light, from death to life. Things are for the Christian radically, supernaturally, spiritually different. But paragraph 5 begins with a sobering note which tells us that the corruption of our human nature during this life remains in those of us who are regenerated. So we are regenerated, we are saved, we are forgiven, but we are still human, we are still sinful, and our corrupt human nature remains until the day that Christ calls us home. So here is the source of all the church's difficulties. 
Every time you're involved with a fight with a fellow brother or sister, every time you sigh when you hear of another church that has divided up and split and went its separate ways under bad circumstances, here is the reason. Churches are full of men and women who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, but are men and women who are still corrupt, men and women who still are sinful and need to wage war against that sin on every single occasion. The Apostle John tells us in 1 John 1 and verse 8, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. John does not beat about the bush. We have sin. If we pretend that we don't, then we deceive ourselves. And famously in Romans 7, Paul outlines this constant battle for the Christian. He says in Romans 7 verse 19, I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And later in this very same chapter, in verse 24, Paul cries out, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Both John and Paul knew the reality of what it was to be a Christian man who still struggled with sin, who still did the things that they did not want to do. This war between the flesh and the spirit rages in the life of every believer. It is this corruption of nature which remains in those that are regenerated. James says something similar in James chapter 3 and verse 2. He says, We all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. There's not one of us who is able to control every word that we say. The tongue is a fire, as James also tells us. And in Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 9, Who can say, I have made my heart clean? I am pure from my sin. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 20, For there is not a just man upon earth that does good and sins not. The picture is clear from the word of God. Every single one of us, though we are redeemed, though we are regenerated, we still struggle with the corruption of our human nature during this life. The Lord requires us to wage war against our sin every single day. Paragraph 5, however, is not all bad news. Although it is clear that as Christians we will struggle with sin for the rest of our lives, we are reminded wonderfully and tenderly in the very next line that we are forgiven. The confession states, Although it be through Christ pardoned and mortified, our sin is through Christ both pardoned, it is forgiven, and it is mortified, it is put to death. And so this is the standing for each and every Christian. We know that we are men and women who sin in a multitude of ways every single day. But we know that when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ for forgiveness, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. His sacrifice at Calvary was enough and our sin is both pardoned and mortified. And yet, both itself and all the motions thereof, state the confession, are truly and properly sin. Because a Christian's sin is both pardoned and mortified, it does not leave us any room to say that it wasn't really ever properly sin, 
I didn't ever really properly sin against God. My sin is forgiven. My sin is no more. No. Every single day when we sin against God, it is actually properly, truly sin. In Galatians 5 and verse 17, Paul states about how the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Paul sums up this entire issue. We are men and women of Christ. We are of God. We have been gifted the Holy Spirit. And yet there is still a large remnant of the old man or woman that remains. The flesh, the old life that wages war against the things of God. And so what are we to do with such a truth as outlined for us in our confession? Well, I believe that as we read it, we need to understand it and take it seriously. Often, as Christians, we can truly rejoice that we have been redeemed, but sometimes we can fall into the trap of taking our sin incredibly lightly. I don't believe that this paragraph gives us any room to do that. We are reminded that we are regenerate, but we are still corrupt, and we are reminded that although our sins are forgiven and mortified by Christ, yet they still exist and are actually truly and properly sin. A positive response to this paragraph today is to keep short accounts with God, as the old saying goes, to be men and women who are much in repentance, men and women who constantly come before the Lord and pray, Father, show us our sin, show us our corruption, and help us by the Holy Spirit to wage war against it every single day. We are wretched men and women, and who will deliver us from this body of death? Thankfully. His name is Jesus. As this chapter comes to a close, it does so with paragraph 6, which outlines what sin actually is and the consequences of that sin. Sin, according to this paragraph, is a transgression of the righteous law of God and contrary thereunto. And this definition of sin is supported by the word of God. John tells us in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4, Whoever commits sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. So when we sin, we are breaking God's law. So every sin, both original and actual, is a transgression of God's righteous law, and therefore deserves his punishment. Every sin, the confession continues, does in its own nature bring guilt upon the sinner. There is not a single one of us who is born with clean hands. We are not born and able to say before a holy God, I have never sinned against you. I am not guilty of breaking your law. We are guilty as sinners both originally and actually because the law of God is written on our hearts as Paul says in Romans chapter 2 and verse 15. We cannot be excused from it. It is written upon our hearts and we have broken it originally and actually. We are guilty before a righteous God. And as a result of this, we are bound over to the wrath of God as the confession continues. Ephesians 2 and verse 3 reminds us that we are by nature children of wrath. We deserve the wrath of God, his righteous anger against our many sins. And we are under the curse of the law. As Paul says in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 10, 
For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continues not in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So for any one of us who does not follow the word of God completely, 100%, absolutely keeping the law of God, then we are under the curse. And sin leads inevitably, of course, to death. Paul tells us in Romans 6 and verse 23 that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Any funeral you have ever been to is a sure sign that something is not right in this world. And what is not right is that sin has entered in. Original and actual sin is a transgression of the righteous law of God, and the wages of this sin is death. Death is the enemy, not part of God's original creation. And every day that we are aware of it is another day that we are aware of our need of Jesus. And not only does sin bring death, but it also brings with it all miseries, spiritual, temporal and eternal. When we speak of spiritual miseries, we mean that in sin we are blind and dark towards the things of God. Paul says in Ephesians 4 and verse 18 that we've had our understanding darkened. We are alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in us because of the blindness of our hearts. Not only are our miseries spiritual, where we are blind to the things of God, but our miseries are temporal. We experience consequences of sin in the here and now. Paul again says in Romans 8 and verse 20, The creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Many of us will know and understand what it is like to feel the tiredness and weariness and vanity of life. It seems that nothing is worthwhile, nothing satisfies the soul, nothing fills the yearning in our hearts. We are experiencing the temporal miseries of sin. But not only will we know temporal misery, but we will also know eternal misery. Anyone who has transgressed God's righteous law, anyone for whom the wrath of God currently abides, well, for that individual awaits eternal punishment. Jesus tells us in Matthew 25 and verse 41 that the judge on the final day, Christ himself, will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And Paul says about those who have not obeyed the gospel in 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 9, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Friends, as we close today, we do so making no apologies for the plain teaching of God's word. We make no apologies for the confession of faith that we subscribe to as Reformed Christians. This final paragraph in this chapter outlines what sin is and the consequences of it. You see, today as I speak to you, I am a Christian man. I am a man of paragraph 5, if you will. I understand the corruption of my nature. I understand that my whole life is a constant battle against the flesh and the spirit. And I understand as well that Christ has both pardoned and mortified my sin. But perhaps today you are not a paragraph five kind of person, but instead you are more 
of paragraph 6, where you know that you are a great sinner. You have transgressed the righteous law of God. You know that you are guilty before God, that you are under his wrath, the curse of his law. You are subject to death and you are currently experiencing misery, spiritual, temporal, and one day soon eternal. Friends, understanding this paragraph today is an absolute necessity for you. Christians are not perfect men and women. We have made that clear today. If you've ever gazed upon a Christian and thought that they are the biggest hypocrites on this earth, then you have seen a little glimpse of this paragraph. Christians are not perfect. They are men who struggle all the time with sin. But Christians are those who have come to know Christ as the saviour of sinners. And so friends, today as we close, I invite you to become a Christian. I invite you to be someone who puts aside their sin, who puts away their guilt, who takes off the wrath of God and instead receives Christ by faith. Today, all who call upon him will be saved and the one who is saved will no longer have their sins held against them. Here are five questions for you to consider. Question one. According to the Westminster Confession, what remains in the regenerated man or woman? Support this biblically. Question 2. What good news is stated clearly in paragraph 5? Question 3. How can we positively respond to paragraph 5? Question 4. How does Westminster Confession of Faith, paragraph 6, define sin? And question 5. Explain the difference between spiritual, temporal and eternal misery. Please remember, folks, we are also giving away a copy of Chad Van Dixhorn's book, Confessing the Faith, uh, along with his wife's little study guide to her husband's book, and all you have to do to be in the chance with winning those books is to give us a little shout on Twitter or on Facebook. Let the world and your granny know that you're listening to This We Confess and it has been a benefit to you. But that's all for today. My name is Scott Woodburn and until next time, This We Confess. Confess.